This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> By steadfastly following his heart, Todd has lived an uncommon life. Living like a monk for 13 years at the then ashram Kripalu in Massachusetts, having an intense spiritual awakening that landed him for a brief stay in a psychiatric hospital, and overcoming the heartbreak of being spiritually betrayed by beloved teachers, not once, but twice. Now, writing with gentle, compassionate authority, he shares the life-changing philosophy that taught him how to embrace all of it, the pain, disillusionment, and suffering as the gift it was always meant to be. Relatable, funny, candid, Todd's work is for the ones who are looking for a heart-centered path to life fulfillment. It will inspire you to access your own heart, leading you from the unknown to the known, from darkness to light, and from fear to love as you walk your own path of hope, happiness, and true transformation. Valeria Tellis interviews Todd Norian, the author of Tantra Yoga, Journey to Unbreakable Wholeness, a memoir. Todd Norian, ERYT500, internationally acclaimed yoga teacher and founder, seeks to awaken others to their inherent potential for healing and joy by integrating the body, mind, and heart through yoga and meditation. Believing that yoga is a gateway for self-discovery and spiritual growth, Todd founded Ashaya Yoga in 2012 to guide his students through an alignment-based, heart-opening practice that builds strength and flexibility while giving them access to the universe of power within. A student of yoga since 1980, Todd brings advanced biomechanical knowledge, tantra philosophical teachings, and an unapologetic sense of humor to his online workshops and trainings. As a classically trained jazz musician, Todd created several music albums for yoga and relaxation, including Bija, soothing music and mantras for yoga and meditation. Meet Todd at ashayayoga.com and yogainternational.com. Here's the interview with Todd Norian. In your own words, who is Todd Norian? Todd Norian is a spiritual seeker whose mission is to bring heaven on earth and to live a life of fulfillment, deep inner peace, and to invite others to find deep inner peace and to invite others to fulfill their life dreams, and their life goals as well, to create a very 
whole and complete joyous journey of self-discovery to find out who we really are and what the heck is really happening here Mm -hmm, and to, to find truth. Every time I hear anyone say, I am a spiritual seeker or a seeker in general, I always ask them, what are you seeking that you already don't have? Well, I I think it's levels of self-mastery and our capacity to be happy is one thing, but there's another form of happiness that I call unreasonable happiness, which is happiness for no reason at all, which is more of a, a sense of living in the depth of what reality is deeper than the surface. If you think of an ocean, the surface are the waves. Um, But there's this ocean of consciousness underneath and it's how to be in the waves, living with the waves, becoming really good, maybe learning how to surf the ups and downs a little better without falling off the board. And if you fall off, you got an ankle belt to like pull yourself back on with the connection to the deep, deep wellspring of rejuvenating energy of the source consciousness, which you cannot access naturally. Most people can't. You need a tool. You need something to help activate that deeper stillness inside. I have been a spiritual seeker for many years. And one day, everything just stopped, ended. And that's when I found out that this was it. In your book, you actually mention that too. You are what you're looking for, uh, paraphrasing you. The word guru, I like the way you say that, but it's kind of funny. G-U-R-U. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh when I saw that. It's kind of interesting. So I wonder, Todd, if such a state, it's really possible. I know that some of us claim to be there in the space of stillness, peace, all the time. But that seems to me that it requires, as you said, practice. And that's not freedom. If we need to practice to be at peace, liberated, then that's not true liberation. Well, I guess it depends on your definition of liberation. If your liberation is sourced in the transcendent, which is more of a renunciate kind of feeling where We live in the world, but the world is where the suffering is. So let's get out of that and go to another place. Then, you know, you could say that liberation requires no practice. But I'm more inclined to think that, I mean, I'm not saying I know what liberation is, (laughs) but I'm more inclined to think that liberation is a, a state of consciousness that's ever unfolding. It's like, how do you define enlightenment? Is the enlightenment the end or is enlightenment the beginning? And so as a seeker, that's really the approach I take is that there's, we could say, an infinite and sort of never ending level of refinement of our consciousness. It's like, well, when did it all begin? You know, and you can say with the Big Bang, but... You know, our mind is so inquisitive and smart in a way. It's okay, then what was before the big thing? <laughs> right. was before that? And yeah. so <laughs> we're really, you know, and the, the approach that I take, it comes from a very deep esoteric philosophy 
that is not about trying to fix the problem, mm. but rather manage the paradox. Mm, right. And the paradox is that we are limited beings operating in an unlimited consciousness. Mm. And that the spiritual path is reconciling the two, which means, you know, if you're kind of stuck in the perfectionist idea that there's one goal and when you achieve it, you'll have total liberation, no more practices needed, you've done your work, there's no more work ever, then that kind of influences a way of being where... Perhaps during the times when the wave dips down or you have a little bit of sadness or depression or something happens where you make a mistake, you say the wrong thing. We can judge ourselves so harshly against the paradigm of enlightenment. And then, and I've done this before, I became very austere many different times throughout my practice, whether it's with diet or socializing or even, you know, the nine years that I practice celibacy, living in a in a yoga ashram. Right. Because I was chasing the dream of liberation. Mm. That liberation is across the finish line. And my whole life was trying to get across the finish line It's like, I say this sometimes, like I definitely am a spiritual seeker, but now I'm a finder. Mm, And in the finder paradigm, it includes both the seeker, Mm. but also I'm not going to wait till the end to have this joyous, blissful rapture of the experience of being a human being. And that's really the, the, the shift that happened for me in the the many different spiritual paths that I've followed over the years, um, that you're right, it takes practice and it takes failing many, many times. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no real mm-hmm. failing. Failing is learning. There's only learning. There's only going mm-hmm. on the journey. So talk to me for a moment about wholeness. What is wholeness to you, Todd? How would you describe that? Well, I think we've been speaking about it. Right. Wholeness is yeah. the embrace of everything in life. Uh, there was something I was going to say uh, right after you said the last thing, which I thought, oh, oh, I know what it was. <laughs> what awesome. if practice was the path? What if practice was the liberation itself? Mm. You see, so there's this idea of, oh, I don't, I want to stop working. And it's like, well, I think think that's going to be that's going to be a problem but I think it's more about how the journey of life itself rather than be being something that we need to transcend or skip over yeah that the process the journey of learning the journey of you know failure and success like our experience itself like we're here to have the experience we're having and how to see that as the perfection so that we're we're always perfectly imperfect just as we are and as we study and practice and learn we come closer and closer to this state of wholeness where we get to a place where it's an unbreakable wholeness because you're steeped you're sourced in the one unbounded constant spiritual source energy even as you live in the world and, you know, have problems and 
relationship issues and going through loss. You know, like some people go through loss and their whole life is, it's turned upside down and they lose themselves. And I think part of that is natural. You know, we have to grieve. And when a loved one does depart from us, it's a huge energetic shift on all levels. But then why do some people fall into a deep, deep depression and the rest of their life, they just don't want to live anymore. And others use that very painful experience to rise up, to become more accepting, to expand sort of their paradigm of what life is. And these people derive even more meaning from their relationships because they understand now how impermanent all this is and that life is precious. And so it's like, okay, do the loving thing. Like say you love your loved ones like every day, you know, don't waste any time because we never know when that day is going to come. You step off the curb in a weird way at the wrong time and that's the end. I think that's another definition of living in a state of wholeness where even when the wave gets really big, like a tsunami of grief, you're able to surf even that, which means you go down because we must, rather than suppress, you know, uh, the grief, we have to give ourselves space to feel and walk in and be with the experience of sadness And what I found is that when I can let myself have my feelings, there's an organic, natural process of the heart. Because the heart is always seeking wholeness, that it starts to guide us and starts to heal us gradually into a much deeper, broader consciousness where that person you lost is suddenly woven into the fabric energetically of every day of your life. Some people express that, oh, I lost my loved one, but I feel like they're with me even more fully now. I had that experience with my dad. You know, we were sort of in and out of being close growing up, but near the end, we got very close. And he was always my my hero. And he we had a, a deep kind of blood level bond together. And after he passed, oh my goodness, I felt like he was with me, like so much more a part of me than when he was here in the physical. Yeah. I love the way you integrate grief and gratitude, the way you speak about these uh, two, let's say, pieces of life or um, components of life. And there's something that in your book that you mentioned about relationships that really caught my attention. I wish I had written here, but I think I still remember because it, it was very refreshing. I think you said something about, or well, you're quoting someone, that we don't meet someone somewhere. They are within us all along. It's already within us. It's not out there. That resonated true to me for some reason. So in a way, we don't lose anyone we, or we never find anyone. They are here. They never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, and isn't that the paradox and joy of life when you yeah. finally do find someone, you have the excitement and <laughs> sort of the physiological response of falling in love. Mm-hmm. 
And yet at a deeper level, there's a, a kind of one spirit, like a oneness of reality. Yeah, when I read that in your book, it really resonated. It's the body, mind, something here screamed. That's true. <laughs> like, wow, that seemed to never heard it that way. <laughs> the mind kind of trying to question that. I love your wisdom and your openness to, to explore the depth of what this is. It's really amazes me that we human beings, some of us, have the courage to do it. And I often wonder why so many of us will never get to this stage or to this space of unknowingness, really, of unknowing <laughs> and mm. being comfortable with the unknown. Do you wonder why some of us never question this? <laughs> yeah, all, all the time. I mean, that's part of the work of accepting everyone at whatever sort of spiritual level or context of life so many people are without opportunity and really are born into a situation that is, I mean, just for them to be able to survive is uh, a triumph, you know. Right. But, you know, when I look at it sort of more holistically, we could say, is that, and I, I say it almost like I'm asking a question. So it's like, what if? What if this life journey here on Earth was about gaining self-knowledge and wisdom by doing the best we can with the situation we've been given. Mm, so yeah. I often talk about the difference between fate and destiny and how fate is what's given to us and destiny is what you do with it. And mm. so maybe some people aren't going to show spiritual wisdom as much of, as others because they're working at a different level. But what if everyone was here to learn the lessons that their soul uniquely needed to get this time? And that's, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but it's one of the things I tell myself, oh, I was born to the perfect parents in the perfect situation for the lessons that I needed to get during mm -hmm. this time. And I don't know, it helps me to just have so much compassion for everybody at, uh, you know, in, in whatever situation they're in. And then it becomes part of my spiritual growth and mission in life to help where I can to lift other people up and to offer insight that might make someone's, that might speed up someone's journey into self-knowledge based on the experience they're having. And just to get someone to shift from denial to wonder, mm, yeah. just that shift could be a whole lifetime of work that someone is going through. Or I know so many people who um, just out of pattern of the mind, I call this an out of control mind. Like mm -hmm. if you can't sleep at night due to anxiety, your mind is out of control. If you um, perseverate around guilt, or shame or regret, it's dipping back into the past. When you look into the past and you see everything that didn't work about that and all the ways that you failed and all that, it starts to develop. It's, it's when I think about it, it's like we're trying to change the unchangeable. Mm, yeah. So then yeah. it's simply, and it's mm. never, never 
this simple, but <laughs> it's a misuse of the past. So the past, like when we're conscious, or I could just say when we can, when we have a moment of clarity, you know, there's three things you can do with the past. You can reject it. You can do nothing about it, or you can grow from it. And I think until someone is inspired enough to understand that we live in the three times past, present, future, they all have something to give us, then how am I using my past? And that's, I shared a teaching in my book, that's how I was, I was able to kind of look into the experience of grief and say, if you're unable to shift your grief into gratitude, then you could say that your loss and your grief is because life changed, but you didn't. Mm. And it's our unwillingness, our stubbornness. We dig our heels in like, no, I don't want that person to go. And of course, we never want our loved ones to go. But in a certain sense, it's like a rejection of the natural cycles of Mm. birth, life, death. And by rejecting that last cycle, the death, which is the hardest one, and mm, yeah, you, know, right. you can you can follow me around in my deathbed. You can interview me and ask me, you know, how did I do? And I'll, I'll probably be the worst one ever. Um, but inquiring into that helps yeah. us learn so that we're not misusing the experience of the past to pull us further down in the pattern of grief or depression or anxiety. So when we talk about wholeness, it's learning how to move through our emotions to get to the other side of the emotion. You know, am I emotionally driven or am I values driven? Yeah, asking questions. And in your book, you have so many useful exercise for that level of understanding, right? For those who need those practices. I love questions and that's why I do what I do. (laughs) Questions. And sometimes they become the answers, really. As you said in your book, too. I love the way you say that often now you have mentioned the word natural, this natural process or uh, when we reject what is natural, then something else happens. It seems to me like it's uh, this dance of falling or being out of balance and then back to balance. So it seems like it is uh, something that's dancing between, but actually everything is just happening as it should happen. (laughs) I love the idea of wholeness as being everything, the imperfect and the perfect the, what it seems, feels broken, it's also wholeness, everything. There's nothing that isn't. But it's just the perception, the, the way we experience that. From the me, from the I that's looking for somewhere to get that is perfect, that, that is whole. From that perspective, then we see all, somebody have used the word, I think, split perception. So now we just had to split from the whole and now you're separated and you see only separation because that's your perspective, your view. So you wrote the book, Tantra Yoga, Journey to Unbreakable Wholeness, a memoir. Talk to me, Todd, about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book. Well, I have been teaching for quite a long time, many decades, and... 
um, I saw a level of heart opening and heart awakening in my students and in myself. And the inspiration of the book was how can I bring these teachings that I would do in the live workshops into some kind of a written form so that more people could experience it and and be inspired to to ask these questions about well what is unbreakable wholeness and how how am I holding myself back? So I'd say the book was a natural um, growth from my teachings. And then in writing it, I mean, it really helped me sort of coalesce and integrate the journey that I've taken. And I always share with my students, you know, everybody's journey is sacred. And to know what your journey is and what you've gained from that um, is, I think, a real, is a way we can inspire other people to also see that their journey, however difficult it was. And I mean, I think I had a pretty typical upbringing. I don't think I had like a lot of trauma in my life. There were sort of like sort of mini experiences of shame and, you know, sort of natural acting out things as a teenager and all (laughs) that. Um, But when I look back at it, um, it's like, oh, I grew up feeling unworthy. Why was that? Well, my father was a perfectionist and I, whatever I did, I never felt like I was good enough. And that showed itself in all these different ways until I came to yoga, which was, I felt completely accepted for all of who I am, both my imperfections and my perfections. And it was in that environment of total love, total acceptance that um, my I think that I started to heal, you know, and I, I say, you know, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Uh, (laughs) Instead of saying even that I'm a perfectionist, I'm saying now, if I'm experienced that I'm saying, I'm having a moment of perfectionism. Mm, Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me for a moment about the story. It's a memoir combined with some the philosophies you teach and then lots of exercise. It's a very rich and generous work. So mm-hmm. talk to me for a moment about that transition. You were from jazz, from being a musician to yoga, and then you became a monk, lived like one, and then you married, and then you left at the ashram, and then you talk about also betrayal. And then and that's one of my questions too. What is to be spiritually betrayed? Yeah, well, you know, I can feel it now just by you asking me. There's a deep wound inside of me still. I think my process has been, instead of trying to get over it, to include it. So that betrayal, instead of becoming an impasse, betrayal becomes a rite of passage. Mm. Because who hasn't been betrayed? In a certain sense, as soon as we're born, we could say it was the betrayal because we had to leave the womb of the mother where all of our needs were taken care of and now suddenly we are separate beings. And um, Mm. so I I think betrayal is is one of those experiences that hurts so much when it happens and there's so many levels of it. You know, just like someone saying they'll be home for dinner at six, they don't get home till seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And they never called. I mean, there's from, from that sort of, tiny little kind of betrayal 
to a guru, you know, like when I was living in the ashram experience, there was a guru and no one knew it, but he was having all these affairs with the women, a lot of the women lying about it, publicly lying, denying that it was happening and then enforcing celibacy in everybody else. So you can see in that there's such a mixed bag because practicing sort of management of our sexual energy is a very healthy thing to do. So the practice itself, I think, is good. Not forever, but for a period of time, let's say, or just to manage it. But then it's the, you know, being told that and then it did come out and the the women that he, we could say, abused because it, yeah. it was yeah. abusive, abusive yeah. power and, and, you know, sexual abuse and all that. And that's when the community just exploded. And the good thing about that is that the, the um, management of that community held the guru to account. And I think that's one of the rare instances where the community held together they fired the the Mm, spiritual director who was the guru (laughs) and carried on with various levels of management and they continue to be successful today not as a spiritual ashram but as a world-class yoga center um, for consciousness and um, so you know i'm very proud of of the community and how how they lived through that And then personally for me, you know, I was betrayed in one community and I had spent 15 to 17 years there. And then I got into another community and 15 years later, a similar kind of thing happened. But I look back and I I learned so much about myself during that time and the power that I would give over to other people, my own insecurity. Maybe it was my childhood feeling of unworthiness that I never really stood in my own core center. And if it weren't for those two big experiences of betrayal, I never would have founded my own yoga. Mm, So I look back on those and and this is kind of what I'm saying in the book, whatever happens to you in, in, in your journey, can you look at it and say, everything in life is for my awakening? Mm, Yeah, I love that. And as I practiced saying that, and it didn't happen all at first, I mean, it took some practice. I, I saw how I learned so much about myself and different tendencies I have and I had to make myself whole. And it was through those experiences. I mean, I, I actually, I bow to those teachers, you know, today I've forgiven them and I've been able to really take the lessons that I needed to move my life forward. So I have, that's really wonderful to be able to realize that, that everything is actually moving how it's supposed to move. Um, mm. Not that anyone's doing it, it's just life being natural, as you say. There's a natural movement, mm. uh, which we see that in nature a lot, this idea of balance and harmony. So that makes sense that within humans, uh, with the human uh, realm, that would happen too, because we are not apart from nature. So everything's just happening naturally. I love that. I love that word. <laughs> you keep saying that too. <laughs> um, so talk to me about the non-dual, I'm not sure if I can pronounce that, but I'll try, Todd. 
Saiva Sakta Tantra. Um, not yes, sure if I did, <laughs> the, um, you're reading from the um, the diacritics. So um, when the S has a little accent mm. over it in Sanskrit, it's pronounced as an SH. So it's it's actually uh, Nandu Shaiva Shakta Tantra. Okay, so and Shaiva you. refers to Shiva. Um, who represents grace, you know, and um, many people, if they've had any exposure to yoga philosophy or Hinduism, they would have heard about Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the creator, the sustainer, and the destroyer, or the transformer. Um, And then Shakta refers to Shakti, who's the goddess of everything manifest in the world. So the Shiva and Shakta, they're two different entities, but because of the term non-dual, it means that they're one in the same while being different. And they represent the the total paradox. So Shakti is Shiva's face, which means if we're going to personalize it, our, our face, sort of our individual expression is the expression of the one energy that manifests itself uniquely as a one of a kind since forever and ever. There's no one exactly like you ever from the past, nor will there ever be for the future. And so as an individual, part of our journey is to remember our connection to this one cosmic energy again. So it's wholeness appearing as individual, as um, as, as separated, right? Exactly. That's you amazing. Just, Valeria, <laughs> you, just, you just expressed the paradox and you did it beautifully. And see, if you go all the way back, like before the Big Bang, let's just pretend that there's just one undifferentiated cosmic energy. It's like an amorphic soup of potentiality. And then suddenly... We don't really know for the reason, but in Tantra, they say, for the sheer delight of it, oneness explodes itself. The universe explodes itself into the multiverse. And it creates separation within itself as its way to know itself. And to know itself, it needs a reflection of itself. So like your eyes have never seen your face. Your eyes can only see yourself through the mirror. That's not you. That's a reflection of you or through a relationship. So we live in a world of reflections. That's that's what the moon is. I don't know if you know, but tonight is actually the July full moon night. And and it's a full moon called Guru Purnima. It's it's the moon is dedicated to the, the guru as teacher. But um, it also re- represents life as, t- as the teacher, you know. So the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. Because if we were to look straight up at the sun, because we want to see the one, we'd burn our eyes out. Like You can't see the one. We can see the reflection. That's our journey to come back to a, a place where we heal that cosmic amnesia. Like as soon as we're born, we forget where we came from. And so maybe we could say that the life journey is a journey of remembrance, little by little, 
that this one energy is the source of all. We could call it love that, you know, in the end, like what do we have at the end? We can't take anything with us, but we can take the feeling of love, how we've loved others and how others have loved us. Have we received love? And in a sense, you know, when we die, we're, we're merging once again back into the flow, the stream of cosmic consciousness, basically to do it all over again. <laughs> yeah, is that a belief system or um, there's no beginning or an end? Because we don't really know how all this started. So it seems like it never did really in a way. So it can never end. Yeah. Maybe because of that, from the separated idea of me, of I, then fear arises, then there's a lot of the, uh, the need to survive and to remain here even after the body goes, we still want to continue the journey. It seems to me, like as of today, that's um, what it kind of comes to me every time, that the mind, the means, would do anything <laughs> to stay here, to be what it, you think it is, but it's not, it's not separated. Yes, well, fear, you know, fear is part of our life system. It's our survival mechanism. Um, but fear is actually very contractive in its right. nature. Yeah. And, and it's uh, corrosive to the heart. So if you're really mm -hmm. afraid of stuff, especially when there's no danger, maybe we could call that habitual fear, afraid of something yeah. that's non-threatening, right. then that really breaks, it kind of breaks the bond to the infinite to the one cosmic consciousness. So what do we do? Well, we can't get rid of fear because it's woven into our limbic nervous system. You know, yeah. we have to. That's what's going to keep our species alive, you know. Yeah. But we can learn how to manage our fear. And instead of fear driving our car all the time, we put fear in the back seat. We put our heart in the front seat. Yeah. And I call that following your heart you know, staying aware, staying in touch with who you are, what you need, staying in touch with your feelings and really trust that there's a, a deeper energy inside that's guiding all of us. But when your fear is so loud, we can't hear it. It's really just a, a very subtle whisper. And that universe is speaking to us all the time, but we can't hear it. So then the practice becomes, how can I quiet the noise and all the traffic and all those emotions and thoughts in the mind enough so I can start to hear the whisper of sort of the sweetness of that promise of safety and wholeness and integration and deep inner peace, connection through love, connection that tells us everything is okay, you're okay, you're going to get through this. And so it's like from our separate perspective, the more we embrace the fear and all the different range of emotions, which are the tastes of life itself, instead of trying to get rid of these emotions, hide from the emotions. Oh, I don't like anger. Let me suppress that. No, you know, anger, we need to have our anger. Anger integrates into determination, you know, it's the righteous anger for injustice. We need to let ourselves feel that. 
um, but not get so carried away with anger that we start to act out, you know, in inappropriate ways. There are appropriate ways, you know, to channel it. But that's what I mean. It's like the spiritual journey cannot be separated from our feelings and emotions and our relationships. That's why I define Tantra as weaver's loom, you know, that the Tantra weaves back together the dispersed parts of ourself into a meaningful, integrated relationship of wholeness. That sounds to me like those, uh, the non-duality principles, yeah, because non-duality also includes duality. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, good. that's a very high teaching right there. Yeah, it's not, nothing separated. But it feels like, and that's the magic, I would say, if we can realize that in every moment, especially when we are going through those emotions, the, the harsh ones, anger, yes. grief, that it's just, it's also wholeness. Everything is wholeness. It's not separated. There's nothing that's separated. Yes. Thank you so much, Todd for doing this and for being open to this wisdom that's no one's wisdom, really. It's life itself speaking. So thank you for being that voice. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's great to talk with you, Valeria, and you're you're doing great work yourself, and thanks for the opportunity. Oh, I love this. It's my sacred hour. <laughs> I love the, the chapter one, the opening. You have a poem from somebody that I don't know, uh, Donna Folds, I think. Yeah, Dana Folds. Dana uh-huh. Folds. She says, I'm not reading the whole poem, but what caught my attention was there's no control in life. And then in the end, she says, in the choice to let go of your own way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. That caught my attention immediately. And somewhere in the book, you talk about what you have been saying, following the heart, which is when you follow your heart, you will inevitably disappoint others. And that's so true, it has been the case. You talk about self-love, how important that is before taking care of other people, of others. Um, look within, love yourself. We already talked about being perfectly imperfect, which chapter two, you talk about that and the game yeah, of well, shame. Yeah, perfectly imperfect, yes. Yeah, perfectly imperfect. Yes, game imperfect. of shame. Yeah. And... And that kind of relates to being able to embrace both perfection and imperfection. And it, it's like saying that we we tune into a level of wholeness. And this is this concept really blew my mind. This wholeness is so universal and big and vast that it includes lack. Mm, right. It's unconditional. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. fullness yeah. that includes lack of fullness. Right. <laughs> that <laughs> makes, I mean, yeah, that is, uh, I mean, what can we say? <laughs> yeah. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And yeah, that disappointing ourselves. You know, I mean, I, my dad was a musician, so he influenced me a lot. And I think part of it is I was always trying to please him um, in, in some positive ways, but also, you know, I never really tuned into myself so much. And yes, I loved music, but it's like I went into music maybe in part to please him because he was a, this awesome trumpet player. And when he got married, he uh, switched out of music into 
uh, the insurance business to support the family, which I can understand. But he always had this love of music, you know. So I thought, oh, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to like go in the direction of my heart. And um, I did that. And of course, he was very happy and proud of me. But then when I found yoga, you know, I went to a 10-day retreat and moved in for 13 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> my parents were like totally freaked out. And it's like, well, this was even more important to me than music. It's like, you know, I wanted to become a musician of life, not just like the notes. And um, so the teaching is, if you're not regularly disappointing others, who might you be regularly disappointing? Mm, right. And it's it's really yeah. a call to us. We're yeah. here to follow our heart, to bring forward the gifts that we've been given. A very needed message uh, for all of us, because this is so easy to do, to um, be there for others and not be there for ourselves. That is, for some reason, it's easy, easy to do. I love that you included Rumi's poem, the guest house poem. It's a famous one, and uh, that really clearly expressed the uh, that non-duality, duality together, that wholeness that we've been speaking about, this paradox. And I love the um, next chapter 18, Return to the Heart. You talk about, you said something that made me laugh, after enlightenment, be like a bee. <laughs> talk to me about that metaphor. Yeah, um, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> and I can imagine. <laughs> it, there's some levels of complexity to us. Let me see if I can keep it really simple. So if you study the life of a bee, what they do is they go out, they collect nectar, and think of nectar as experience. So we go out and we have experiences. Bees go out, they collect the nectar, the experiences, and they bring it back to the hive. The bees, and then the bee has to, you know, sorry for if this is gross for some listeners, they have to vomit. They yeah. have to vomit the nectar in order to live. If they don't let go of that nectar, they die. Right. The vomiting of the nectar is sharing with the community. Mm -hmm. So we go out and have our experience. We come back to the hive. We come back to our community and we share with the community. We, we offer our nectar and that, that continues the life of the bee and the bee keeps, continues to go. So this idea of, of staying connected to other people, staying connected to communities of people, and share your experience. Before we end, I have a few more questions for you. I think I'll ask you two questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, gosh. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, I, I think at the end, I really offer an invitation for people to follow their heart, um, to really look at their lives and see whose life are you living? What are you living it for? Who are you living it for? And what does your heart most deeply desire? Yeah. And to get a little closer to that and then to align your life such that you are in fact offering your gifts, living your dream, and you take on the journey of self-mastery, which is 
how to make sense, how to how to give life more meaning that is uplifting as every experience is intended, even the difficult ones are intended to expand our awareness and to give us more depth of humanity, to be able to hold the deepest depths of joy and also of sadness, to hold the darkness. Because when you can hold your own darkness, that really qualifies us to sit with other people and offer compassion to them. I love, I don't know if I put this in the book, but it's something by uh, Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun, who says compassion is your capacity to sit in your own darkness, Mm -hmm. to be able to know that darkness fully. So when you're with someone and they're sharing their darkness, you can be with them. That's that's really my my prayer for everyone and my, my wish for myself. And it's a continuous journey. I'm always the student learning more and more. And I'm trying the best way I can to be like a bee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hopefully you are. I, I don't vomit <laughs> on anybody, but that but... They, they take it as the nectar with which it was intended. And, and um, yeah. So two more questions. What is another word for life? Another word for life is love. Mm. Because love is the vibrational equivalency of all that is. It's the vibrational equivalency of wholeness. That's not necessarily unconditional because love, in my opinion, is not unconditional. <laughs> in just We have so many conditions around love, especially in relationship, but it holds the paradox of both the unconditional and the conditioned. And part of what life is is our capacity for freedom by creating healthy self-boundaries. It's freedom through boundary that gives us the grounding of what it means to be a fully aware human being. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving, losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? No, actually I wouldn't. It's funny because I I think I would just continue serving in the way that I am serving now. But maybe the change would be that I would do it with even more abandon, Mm. you know. But um, I feel as though I want to leave behind a legacy of love and a practice and a method. And it's kind of a big legacy I want to leave behind. And I realized fairly recently, you know, during the the last 15 months of COVID, that if I want to leave something that big behind, it's going to take no less than everything I have. Mm. So I've been practicing putting everything I have into what I'm doing, and it's bringing such satisfaction and joy, even when the results are not quite happening yet. (laughs) They they are happening. But what Mm. I'm doing is I'm developing a a very strong foundation. We could call it like a container um, to be able to expand the reach of Ashaya and the message. And of course, the book is part of that. And, um, you know, the teacher trainings and things that I do to help people grow themselves. 
So I would say if I knew that I was going to die like much sooner than I anticipate, Mm -hmm. I would just put pedal to the metal (laughs) and, you know, bring even more that I can. What about ice cream, Todd? Chocolate (laughs) ice cream. That's so good. (laughs) I hope we include that there too. (laughs) Thanks for the reminder. Yes, I'll... That was funny one day when I asked the question. I remember this woman said that really out loud. I would eat so much chocolate and ice cream. And she was serious about it. (laughs) So that made me laugh. But it's a beautiful purpose. I love seeing that, as I mentioned, off record. It's really beautiful. That intention of helping yourself and then helping others. Really, really beautiful. Thank you again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can go to ashayayoga.com. That's my website and everything is there. And I also have the Ashaya Facebook page, Ashaya Instagram page. And um, I offer a lot of online courses and I offered um, near the beginning of COVID a ton of free courses, a five-day, five elements course. Um, There's a chakra series. And um, a lot of those are on my website, but also on YouTube. So I hope people will will check those out. They're all free and, you know, see. Yeah, I'll have. Resonate with this path and then come and do more. Yes, I'll have the link of your website on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Todd, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you, Valerie. I appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Todd Norian and his work, please visit ashayayoga.com and yogainternational.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.